Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. This morning we are going to look at the character Mary. Jack Hayford says in his book, The Mary Miracle, we often think the redemption of God begins in a manger in Bethlehem, but it began in a womb in Nazareth. God's willingness to accept temporary housing in a womb in order to bring eternal promise into the world is of course the theme of Christmas. So let's pick up the story of Mary in Luke 1, reading from verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary goes on to sing a song of praise. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And she continues on with her song of praise. And I'll let you um, read that for yourselves. And then finally it says, Mary remained with her for about three months and returned to her home. So here we have Mary, the mother of Jesus, a character so central to the Christmas story. Don spoke earlier in the series how we can often have a picture-perfect image when we imagine the nativity And I know for myself as a child, learning the Christmas story, it was easy to gloss over the finer details. But in fact, today as we look deeper into the story, 
I want for us to understand who Mary was, what her life looked like at the time, and just what her obedience meant for her, and also what this then means for us. Most scholars would agree that Mary was young. We know this because she was engaged to Joseph. The marriageable age back then is much different than what would be considered normal now. She was more than likely a young teenager. And as she was yet to be married, Mary belonged still to her father's household. It's likely that she spent most of her days working, helping her family out. There was so much work to be done in those days to keep a household running. Things like beds to be made, stoves to be kept burning, water to be drawn from wells, animals tended to, upkeep of home maintenance, and so on. And most of this work was done by women or young girls. Very few women had economic or legal rights. The historical context of being engaged back in those times was that the actual marriage involved two stages. First of all, there was the betrothal, and then after perhaps several months or even a year, the girl would have been taken to the house of her betrothed, and at that moment, once they started to live together, they were considered properly married. The choice of husband was not made by the girls themselves. It was a legal agreement between a father and the chosen husband. Girls, again, had no part in the legal process. They were merely chattels to be traded with the exchange of money. <coughs> Up until this encounter with Gabriel, Mary's life was set. Author Kent Hughes says of Mary's previous life, from all indicators, her life would not be extraordinary. She would marry humbly, give birth to numerous poor children, never travel farther than a few miles from home, and one day die like thousands of others before her, a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Now, I think we are probably all aware of the implications in that time of Mary being pregnant out of wedlock. The whole social structure at that time was set up for children to be born within marriage. Genealogy and ownership of children was seen as very important. Girls who became pregnant outside of marriage would likely have had to leave their homes and their families with the potential of being sold into slavery or of being stoned to death. She may have been banished from her home, which may have led a woman to prostitution or slavery when she had no way of supporting herself. And all of this to say, this is the context with which we can use to view the character Mary this morning. This is all that was going on for Mary when the angel visited her. Mary was an ordinary girl, pulled from obscurity, chosen to bear the Son of God. Today I want for us to look at three simple things that I noticed about Mary as I read her story. Mary questioned, Mary submitted, and Mary worshipped. So firstly, Mary questioned. It can be easy for those of us that have grown up in church, in a church setting perhaps, where hearing from God is normal speak, to imagine what it must have been like for Mary to have been visited by an angel. Although I do think if an angel just turned up in my living room, I would be pretty surprised as well. But remember, as we've heard over the course of this series, hearing from God just hadn't happened. God had been silent for 400 years. Remember also that Zechariah hadn't been able to speak after his encounter, which happened six months earlier. 
Mary wouldn't have known anything about what had happened there. And the first words we hear documented from Mary are a question. The Amplified Version says, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin and have no intimacy with any man? It's a fair question. Mary wasn't unaware of where babies came from. Mary knew enough to know that she couldn't make this happen herself. She couldn't see how in her present state she could produce a child. She looked at what she could see in the natural and wanted to know how it could come to pass. It's important to note here the difference between her question and Zechariah's question. If you read previously in Luke 1, Zechariah's questioning results in him becoming mute for the entirety of Elizabeth's pregnancy. However, in that instance, Zechariah's question came out of a place of cynicism and doubt that God would be faithful to do what he had said. Mary's question is one of curiosity, and I liken it to how, of this, how will it be that this will come to pass, rather than asking, God, could you really make this happen? It was Mary's question, but it is essentially an old age question. Mary's question was to look with human eyes and wonder how with human means could it be possible? And I suggest that Mary went even one further in her questioning process. The angel told Mary that Elizabeth was pregnant. Now, we don't know exactly why Mary went to see Elizabeth soon after Gabriel's visit, but I think we can assume it has to do with her directly learning of Elizabeth's pregnancy. For surely if Elizabeth was in fact pregnant, all that Gabriel had said must also be true. Mary took action and went to see. After the angel left, we see that Mary hurried to the household of Elizabeth. Remember, it's not like what we experience today. If in my family, one of my aging aunties was pregnant, it quickly would spread through the family grapevine or be all over the family chat or something like that. But Mary had no way of knowing whether it was true that Elizabeth was in fact pregnant without going to see her. On previously reading this, I had in my mind Mary chucking on some shoes and just heading to the next town over. But in fact, the trip from Galilee to the Judea hill country is around 130 to 160 kilometers away, on foot. Bearing in mind that it's realistic for a walker in that time to walk around 30 kilometers a day on a long journey, that's a four to five day trip at least. We assume she went on her own, and if that's the case, then it's actually an incredibly dangerous trip for a young girl to have made. It seems that such was her desire for confirmation of what the angel had said. Sometimes I wonder if God is speaking to us, but we don't really take the time to get confirmation to see that it is him. We get busy or distracted. We move on easily thinking that it's God's job to confirm all that we have heard or been told. But do we spend the time to wait and hear more? Do we study the word to see if what we have heard lines up with it? It says that Mary went in haste. She didn't hang about for a few days. She was urgent to get confirmation of what she'd been told. The second thing I notice is that Mary submitted. Then Mary said to the angel, Behold, 
I am the servant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. This is by no means a simple yes. As we have previously discussed, it had some serious implications for Mary's life. She risked being outcast by all who knew her, including her fiancé. Remember, we know how Mary's story ends, but she did not. Who knew if anyone would believe her? Who knew if ridicule and speculation would ever not follow her again? She also submitted while seemingly still being in a place of questioning. She didn't have all the answers. She hadn't yet seen Elizabeth. I am the servant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Profound words, I think, for a young teenager. Bear in mind also, this was no ordinary pregnancy. She was also saying yes to raising the Son of God. The prophecies of Isaiah 9, the expectation and belief of the coming Messiah that she would have grown up hearing of her whole life were now coming to rest on her shoulders. You can imagine the responsibility for raising this most important child were immense. To submit means to yield to an authority over you. She recognized who God was, his authority over her life, and that if what the angel was saying was in fact true, that she couldn't possibly say no. She trusted in the God that she had heard stories about, passed down from generation to generation. She had no way of knowing how others around her would respond to her being pregnant to her telling them what she had been told and how she had come to be bearing the Son of God. Her yes, her submission, meant that her life was going to be difficult. Now in our culture today, the word submit has become a bit of a dirty word, and understandably so, as there have been so many in positions of power that have used and abused those under them. But our prevailing culture is the opposite of submit. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to live my life. Don't tell me, no, you can't do that. I'm free to be me. Live by your feelings. Do whatever feels good. We don't want someone above us telling us what to do, sometimes even how to do our job. We shun authority, try to shortcut processes, and climb the ladder as fast as possible. Author Jonathan Grant says, modern authenticity encourages us to create our own beliefs and morality, the only rule being that they must resonate with who we feel we really are. The worst thing we can do is conform to some moral code that is imposed on us from outside by society, our parents, the church, or whoever else. It is deemed to be self-evident that any such imposition would undermine our unique identity. The authentic self believes that personal meaning must be found within ourselves or must resonate with our one-of-a-kind personality. And he goes on to comment that this culture of expressive individualism has become the moral wallpaper of the modern world. You would think with these endless parade of messages such as be yourself, don't follow the rules, um, and all the promises that seem to be attached to this message, that we would see an increase in happiness and peace and prosperity. Now, we don't have to look around very far to know that this is not, in fact, the case. And this is not the story of the Bible. This is not the life that God is calling us to. 
There is another way. There is a much more hopeful way. In the Bible, we read of so many people in impossible situations making hard choices. We don't see the heroes of the faith just casting submission aside because their right is to be happy or to live life their own way. Yes, I am all for choices, and I am so grateful that we live in this country of New Zealand where we're so blessed um, with democracy, which many in our world do not currently experience. But God calls us to something higher than living my life, my way, so that I can get the most for myself. As I've said before, the individualistic life promises much, but ultimately delivers emptiness. Romans 8, verse 5 to 8 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Author Vaughan Roberts says, the modern idea is that we have to affirm the feelings we have and that we can only be authentic as we fulfill our own desires. But the Bible teaches us that some of these desires should be resisted. We must measure our desires against the will of God as the Spirit through the Bible makes us sensitive to those things that grieve him and help us to want to live in ways that please God. As shown in Mary's story, God isn't always calling us to the easy option. When we choose to come under God's authority, it means we give our whole lives in sacrifice to him. Mary's submission was not out of a place of her own comfort. It wasn't one of what was best for her. I suggest that submission looks like in the big decisions of life, asking God, what is your will? How can I best serve you, God? How can I best please you, God? Ken Geyer says in his devotional, Moments with the Saviour, her faith was courageous. We know that because her decision was quick and her obedience complete. She would submit to God, regardless of the questions it would raise, or the eyebrows, regardless of the cost or the consequences regardless if it meant losing her reputation or the man she loved, even her very life. And maybe, of all the favorable qualities this young woman had, maybe it was this regardless quality that made her most suited to the task of raising such a wonderful promise. For regardless had to be a quality that was instinctive if the promise were ever to grow up and reach fulfillment as savior of the world. We can most definitely learn from Mary in her posture when faced with a huge decision. That would personally cost her. God wasn't going to force her to accept this. She had a choice in all of this. God was then, and is still now, just looking for a willing heart. Where in your own life is this attitude needed today? If you've been a Christian longer than five minutes, you'll know that this is something we have to continually come back to. Ultimately, Mary had come to the place of surrender to God. And when she came to that place, she worshiped. When Mary met Elizabeth, 
The baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt. The Holy Spirit came down and Mary poured out her praise in worship. Can you imagine how much peace seeing the confirmation of God's word must have brought to Mary? Can you imagine what the journey had been like to get there to see Elizabeth? How much would have Mary have been going over the encounter that they had had? And before she could say anything, without having to explain anything, Elizabeth told her everything she already knew. Her joy in being privileged to carry the Son of God, the Messiah, the one that they had all been waiting for, was overflowing. And Mary's response was to worship. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. In spite of all that was ahead, and what I'm sure was some trepidation in that, Mary's response was to look heavenward. She knew where ultimate control lay. She knew that what her people had been waiting for was coming, and she had been chosen to play a part. But she wasn't prideful about that. She was humbled, knowing that she wasn't worthy to be in his presence. She knew how great God was, and so she worshipped. I know it's true of me, and so I assume that it is true of you. But we can lose our awe of God so easily. Daniel Darling says in his book, The Characters of Christmas, today we aren't as fearful of God as people were in the first century, and perhaps that's a problem. We referred to God flippantly as the big man upstairs and treat Jesus as some kind of cosmic running buddy. But in the first century, God's people didn't want God to just show up because they knew that if he did, they were not worthy to be in his presence. Being in fear of God does not mean being afraid or being scared of God. It's to stand in awe of all that he is. It's a sense of overwhelming reverence and respect. It's a bit like what Dan was talking about before as he led worship, adoring God, being in awe of him. And it's so easy to live without the awe of who God is. Because of Jesus, we can live in this incredible place of being able to commune whenever we want with the God who made the universe, yet knows each one of us by name. We can get so used to gathering corporately, singing a nice worship song and go away without really having taken the time to look at the words that we're singing. Mary was so excited, the Messiah was coming and she had been chosen. So then, what does this mean for us? How can we take this and practically apply it to our own lives? I think firstly, we need to remember to look beyond our own abilities. I know for myself, I have a tendency when things get crazy, um, that I look with my natural eyes at the circumstance around me. So often I can get bogged down in details and emotion and fear before I even consider going to God. It's in these times when we can only see the natural, that's when we need to look to God. That famous verse, I lift my eyes up to the mountains, where does my help come from? When we have questions, when we can't work it out, when we're confused, when it seems too hard, when we don't know what the next step to take is, 
We look beyond ourselves, our capabilities. We go to God first. It's important to note the response Gabriel had to Mary's how question. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. This applies today as we bring our how questions to God. I love it how Jack Hayford puts it. These words, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, give the one sufficient and satisfying resource capable of both begetting life and making it work. The same spirit present at the Genesis creation who brought life and order out of emptiness and chaos is the one heaven still prescribes. The power that worked God's word and will at the beginning of the created order is the same power that brings God's word and will to pass in the redemptive order, the Holy Spirit. And he is the one announced power source to fulfill Christ's order in and through our lives today. We can take comfort in that whatever we are facing today, good or bad, whatever it is that you can't see beyond or how things could possibly change, know that you are not alone, that the Holy Spirit is ever present and ever working. No matter where you are today, what you might be struggling with, look beyond your own situation. Ask God to give you his eyes for your situation. Secondly, we need to look inward. Our behavior, our big decisions, our thoughts, our attitudes all need to come under the submission of God. To submit is to yield to an authority greater than ourselves. Sometimes we say, God isn't speaking to me. And I get that, some seasons are drier than others. But we also need to remember that sometimes God has already said something. Joyce Meyer says we have to habitually study the word to really have confidence in God and know that we can hear him. As we spend time reading and meditating on scripture, we develop a strong spirit. Then we can hear God speak into our heart and make decisions based upon what he's leading us to do, not just what we think, feel, or want. The Bible is the word of God, and what it it says means something. It's not a pick and choose. I don't like that, I do like that part, that part's outdated. The whole Bible is a story together. The Bible is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it can speak right into your situation. A small tip, you have to read it to know what it says. And again, not in a pick and choose way, not in a once a month type of way either. The more you read and become familiar with the Bible, the more you can see the way that God has woven it all together. The whole story, all pointing to his great rescue plan, Jesus. The more we engage with his word, the more we become familiar with who God is and who he is calling us to be. This helps us when we're faced with tough decisions, when we have questions about what we should give value to and what we should prioritize. I wanna ask you today, Are you really open to submitting to, trusting in, and being challenged regularly by the word of God? To hold the Bible up against what society tells us is truth and examine what God is really saying about different issues? And are you willing to allow God's truth to shape you, to sharpen your thinking, to not just accept anything that comes your way, but to question, what does God say about that? 
to submit to his authority and to allow his voice and word to inform your behavior. As Don said a few weeks ago, to be stirred, to not just be stirred, but to be shaped. So we look beyond ourselves, we look inward, and finally, we look up. Mary's outpouring of worship, I believe, came from the overflow of a grateful heart. It's important to remember that Mary's story wasn't just for herself. She was chosen to bear the Son of God so that others would know God and so that humanity could be saved. We remember again the God who flung stars into space, but who came as a baby, helpless and at the mercy of humans, to save me from my sin and to save you from yours, to save our friends and our families and our neighbors and our enemies. If the musicians could come, it'd be great. Um, I have felt again and again as I've been preparing this message over the past few weeks that there might be some people here this morning who are feeling like they're in a place, just like Mary, where they can't possibly see how it is going to turn out. It's not necessarily a bad thing, it might be, but um, maybe it is a new opportunity. Um, perhaps you're one of those people who like to have it all neatly figured out. Um, but this decision or whatever it is that you're facing you, you don't really know what it's gonna mean for your life in one year, three years, 10 years down the track. Of course, always wisdom and counsel of people around you that you trust. But I just felt to encourage you that Mary, not knowing how the end was gonna turn out, she said yes. Yes to this moment. Yes to trusting and submitting herself to God's leading. She didn't know how it was gonna turn out, but she did know the one who was asking. Perhaps it is you today who is saying, God, I can't possibly see how this will turn out. This relationship, job situation, health issue, new opportunity, family situation, but I'm going to choose you. I'm gonna stand and I'm gonna worship God. I'm gonna choose surrender and choose to trust the one who is holding my story. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.